Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Father, we thank you for another day that you have made. Thank you that we are alive and well, and we want to hear from you today. So please speak to us. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, if you weren't here last week, we started a series last week called How Do We Grow? So for the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about the subject of how do we grow as a Christian? So if we get that image up of the egg corn and the oak tree. So hopefully you can see that. It's amazing that that little egg corn turns into that incredible tree. And I want you to have that image during this series because Christian growth not only is God's desire for you, but it's his will for you. He desires that we grow and have deep roots in him and that we look more and more like Jesus as the the days and weeks and months go by. And so if you feel like you're stuck in growing as a Christian, you feel like maybe you're you're in reverse and going backwards as a Christian, our prayer is that this series would help you and would stir you. And, and one way to think about this is don't think this is five steps to a mature life. Think of it more as key ingredients to, to spiritual growth. And so we're not going to look at all the, the ingredients to spiritual growth, but we're going to look at some of the most important ones. And think like... Uh, Jambalaya. So if you know what jambalaya is, it's like a, um, just a, a, a wonderful, at least with my brain, a wonderful concoction of you just throw a bunch of stuff in a pot and it tastes really good. And you have lots of spices and you have seafood. Um, it's not like those of you who like to bake, it's not precise. It's not this, this, and this. It's just you throw it all in and what comes out is just this wonderful surprise to your taste buds. Well, that's what this series is going to be like. We're going to just grab some of these main ingredients of spiritual growth. And last week, we talked about uh, what I would say is really the most important part of spiritual growth, is, and that is learning to rest in what Christ has done. So last week, we really didn't talk about anything we need to do. We talked about if you have genuinely trusted in Jesus how you can learn to rest in what he has done. So just by way of review, we looked at four things last week when it comes to resting in in what Christ has done. First was this, learning to rest in Christ's righteousness, meaning the moment you trusted in Jesus, we we had a courtroom scene, the moment that happened, Jesus' perfection, his perfect obedience was credited to you. So no matter where you go, no matter what you do, no matter how you feel on the inside, if you are genuinely a Christian, you're completely covered by Christ's righteousness. Because you are covered by Christ's righteousness, you are forgiven. So you are forgiven of your past sins, your present sins, those who fought on the way to church this morning, those who yelled at their kids, kids, those who yelled at your parents back and forth. If you are in Christ... You are covered and forgiven. So we need to rest in that. We need to rest in Christ's love. His love is unconditional towards you and displayed most clearly when he hung and died on the cross 
with you in mind for your sins. And then the last thing we looked at last week was learning to rest in our adoption as sons and daughters. The moment you trusted in Jesus, you were adopted. You were his special son or special daughter. The the book of Zephaniah says that God delights and rejoices and exalts over us with singing. If you are in Christ, that is your reality in Christ. Now, I know that might not be how you feel, but that is how God sees you in Christ. So that was last week. And in many ways, we never, that's a key ingredient we want to keep going back to. But this morning, we're going we're gonna to change gears a little bit. And, and one of the things with last week, all the things I just said, if you think about them, none of those things, as incredible as they are, they don't do anything on the inside of us. So it's great to be forgiven. It's, it's amazing to be adopted as God's son or daughter. It's wonderful to be covered in, in Christ's righteousness. It's wonderful to know my past sins, my present sins, my future sins are covered in Jesus and paid for in full. But none of those things give me power to change, to grow. And so today we're going to look at what does give us power to grow and to change. The title of this morning is, Do You Realize That You Have Been Made Alive? If you are a Christian, if you've turned from your sins and trusted in Jesus, do you realize that you have been made alive? That's what we're going to look at this morning. The big idea is we must marvel in the reality that we have been made spiritually alive alive. My prayer for us is that idea, that reality of God's Spirit in us will give you encouragement, confidence, and faith that you're going to grow, you're going to change, you're going to experience more and more freedom from things that right now you feel somewhat ensnared to. See, the moment you trusted in Jesus, you were experiencing a reality that you may not have had, had comprehended with your mind. And that reality is you had experienced the greatest miracle humanly possible to experience. And that, that is what the Bible calls as being born again or being made alive or if you like big words, being regenerated by God's Spirit. Do you realize that you have been made alive? I chose the, the word realize intentionally because the dictionary definition of realize is to become fully aware of something as a fact, understanding it clearly. I'm going to try to persuade you from the Bible so that we appreciate this reality that we have been made alive by the maker of heaven and earth. Now, in order to really appreciate this and experience it, we have to go to the graveyard first. We have to hear the bad news First, So in order to appreciate that we have been made alive, we got to think a little bit about the fact that we were born spiritually dead. So that's our first question we're going to grapple with is, do you realize that you were born spiritually dead? So we're going to go to the graveyard. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins 
in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So the Bible begins in Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning, God. And then we, then we learn God makes the heavens and the earth. He makes all of creation. Then the pinnacle of his creation is Adam and Eve. And he says, it is good. And he made Adam and Eve in his image to reflect him, to represent him. But then sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, death entered the world. And not just physical death, but spiritual death. And so we inherited, just by the fact that we're humans, we inherited the spiritual death. That by nature, what Ephesians 2 says, is we were dead spiritually. And as a result of that, we are enslaved to all kinds of passions and desires. Some of us, the more uh, ones that we might think are more gross and criminal. Some might be more uh, subtle and respectable, as, as Jerry Bridges calls them. Things like pride and self-righteousness and gossip. Things that, that you're not going to go to jail for. You're not going to get fired from your job for. But they're, they're nonetheless sins that enslave us. Well, all of us, every human being in the entire world, is born with a sinful nature and, as a result, are spiritually dead. So we, we are, by nature, as humans, this complex combination of image bearers for God and flawed by sin so much that we are spiritually dead. Meaning we can't see Jesus, we can't trust in Jesus, we can't have faith in Jesus, we... we None of that we can do naturally. So if you have faith in Jesus, if you trust in Jesus, something supernatural has happened to you. Spiritually speaking, you and I were born completely flatlined. So it wasn't, there was no beep on the monitor at all. It was just flat. And then one day, the monitor started to beep. It, 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 life was infused inside of you. You didn't do that. God, the maker of heaven and earth, did that. So to, to appreciate that you have been made alive, we have to understand that we didn't start out alive. We started out spiritually dead. But for the remainder of this morning, we're going to talk about the fact that you have been made alive. So, second question. Do you realize that you were made alive? alive. I don't know about you, but my, my mind with this subject goes to like zombie shows and movies, and so you just picture all these people that, that are sort of seeming like there's some kind of life in them, but ultimately they don't have the, this normal, um, healthy life. Well, spiritually speaking, that, that's kind of what we're like. Obviously, before we became Christians, we were alive. We had jobs. We were able to do things, but our spiritual status was dead on arrival. We were not alive. And then God made us alive. Look at verse 4. 
But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when you were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Have you ever wondered why you turned from your sins and trusted in Jesus and maybe other brothers, sisters, friends, relatives, classmates, fellow students, fellow co-workers didn't? What, what happened there? Have you ever thought about that? Why all of a sudden could you not see Jesus and your need for Jesus and then suddenly you could see Jesus and your need for Jesus? What happened? Well, what happened is what verses 4 and 5 are talking about. God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when you were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So you picture like the, the paddles on a, in, a, in an operating room where somebody does go flatline and they infuse energy into them and their, their body comes back alive. Well, that's what happened to you and I. So you're thinking, well, didn't I turn from my sins? Didn't I trust in Jesus? Yes, you did those things, and they were real, and they were real decisions that you were making. But behind the curtains, the reason you did those things is because God, who made heaven and earth, infused life into you, and he made you alive. So remember, this series is talking about Christian growth. Why well, I'm 100% convinced that Understanding what happened to you spiritually is going to promote and encourage your Christian growth in a very powerful way. You didn't just join a club when you, you thought, well, these people seem a little nicer than, than maybe some of the other people I was hanging out with, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave that group and I'm going to join this group. That's not what it means to become a Christian. You did leave things. You turned from things and you trusted in Jesus. But what happened is God made you alive. So do you remember the story in the Bible where Lazarus, Jesus' friend, he dies. And his sisters come to Jesus. And the one sister says, you know, Lord, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. If you would have been here. And Jesus basically, this is a paraphrase, but basically says, well, you're going to be really glad I wasn't here because watch what I'm about to do. So they go to the tomb where Lazarus is buried. He's been dead several days. And they're concerned about the, the stench in the tomb. Let's just roll, to, roll the, the tomb open. And, and Jesus just calls out to Lazarus from the dead and he comes back to life. That's what, it, that's what you experienced when you became a Christian. It was actually more dramatic than that, more powerful than that. And the Lord did that. And there, so that should give you confidence in him. That should give you joy in him. That should, should amaze you that his, in his grace and mercy, he gave you spiritual life. Now, part of that spiritual life became spiritual sight and spiritual hearing and spiritual power. So let's look at that. God gave you spiritual sight. In John 3, Jesus is talking to a religious leader, a Pharisee, 
about this idea of being born again. And Nicodemus is the Pharisee's name. He's confused. And Jesus is saying, you, you should really know better because you are um, one of, of God's leaders. You're supposed to be. And you have the Old Testament. And you know the Old Testament talks about a new birth. And yet you can't see it. And so Jesus says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, if, if one is not born again, made alive by God's Spirit, he can't see God's kingdom. He can't see Jesus as king. And if you can see Jesus as Lord, Savior, and King, the only explanation is you were blind and now you can see. How did that happen? God did that. He opened your eyes. I remember when I was 19 years old, I, it was um, wintertime about this time. I was a sophomore at IUP. I came back to IUP a week early before classes started for extracurricular activities. So I wasn't in sports. So you can read between the lines there. So I came back early with a group of friends. And during that time, and, and the months leading up to that, I began to experience great conviction of sin. But I didn't know Jesus. And I really didn't know many Christians either. But in that week period of time, the Lord just kept drawing me to himself. And so I left the group of friends that I came to hang out with for that, that week ahead of time. And I began to cry out to the Lord. And within a few weeks of that winter break, I have no explanation other than my blind eyes were given sight. And I could suddenly see Jesus, and I couldn't see him before. And I suddenly believed that Jesus died for my sins. And I suddenly believed that he forgave me of all my sins. And I suddenly had power to turn from sins that before I could not turn from. I'd try, and I couldn't do it. Many failed attempts. And then all of a sudden, wasn't perfect, but there was spiritual sight, there was spiritual life, and spiritual power. I didn't do that. God did that. That's the work of salvation. See, God gave us spiritual sight. Some of you who maybe were saved as younger boys or girls or young teenagers, and you, you didn't, let's say, participate in some of the extracurricular activities that I'm describing, and you think, well, my, my testimony is kind of boring or it's, it's not dramatic. Well, if you understand what we're talking about today, it actually was powerfully dramatic. Listen to this verse from 1 Corinthians. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. Listen to this. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. If you say Jesus is your Lord, your King, your Savior, the one you worship and live for, well, and you deeply believe that. The only way you can do that from this verse is that the Holy Spirit did that. He enabled you to, to believe and to trust. This is why John Newton wrote these words to Amazing Grace. See, John Newton, many of you may, may not know him by name, but you know of him because you know the song Amazing Grace. Well, John Newton was actually part of the slave trade, and he was a 
by his own words, a wicked man who eventually came to saving faith in Jesus over a period of time. And after that happened, he wrote the, the famous words to Amazing Grace. And listen to this, this section. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Amazing grace. If you, if you get this idea that you have been spiritually made alive, it makes God's grace so much more amazing. He does it. And then he gets all the glory. When God gave you spiritual sight, he also gave you spiritual hearing. Jesus said this, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. The ability to truly hear God by his word through his spirit is uniquely Christian. I can remember being around people reading the Bible at times and just not understanding it at all. Like, at all. I remember sitting in a class, a Bible class as a seventh grader, and thinking, I think the guy teaching this class really believes this and really understands it. I just don't. I remember taking a Bible class at IEP before as a Christian, reading it for homework, and it just didn't, I just couldn't get it. And then, once I became a Christian, the Bible's a big book. There's a lot of complicated things. In it. I remember reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all of a sudden, I could see it and understand it. And when I would see Jesus interacting with tax collectors and prostitutes and really just restoring people's lives, I thought, that's the Jesus I know. That's the Jesus I experienced. Well, if you can hear God from his word through his spirit, that's something to praise God for. He did that. Probably my immediate biggest surprise when I became a Christian was there was suddenly power to not give in to the sins that I was enslaved to. There was power. I don't know how to explain it. it. One day it wasn't there, and then all of a sudden it was there. I remember making resolutions as an 18-year-old and 19-year-old before Christ, that I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to go out anymore. I'm not going to do this thing anymore. And I would tell other people. I remember doing it one morning on homecoming weekend. I'm not going to do it. By 10 o'clock at night, I was fully into it. Uh, because I had no power. There were enough consequences that I was starting to see the effects of my choices, both in my own life and in my friends' lives. But I couldn't change. I had no power until God made me alive. Listen to this verse. In my prayers, this verse would, would hit you in a fresh way this morning. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. So you could be reading this in your Bible. Let's say you're following a program. You get to that verse. Oh, I know that verse. If anyone's in Christ, it's a new creation. The old's passed away. The new's gone. On to verse 18. I don't want to do that. He's a new creation. That's creation language. Where have we seen creation language before in the Bible? Genesis chapter 1 and 2. What happens? The world is absolute chaos. 
and God speaks and brings order and life. The birds and with the, the fish, with the trees and with the flowers and, and the sunshine and the moon and, and the galaxies, all of it happens by God speaking. And what started formless disorder and chaos suddenly had order and beauty. Well, that same language is what the Apostle Paul says happened to us. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. The old you has passed away. The old you died when you trusted in Jesus. And the new you was made. The new has come. So the disorder of your former life has been crucified with Christ. And out of that chaos comes beauty by God's Spirit. See, this idea actually isn't just a New Testament idea. Jason referenced this uh, last Sunday when he closed the, the, the meeting from Ezekiel 11. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. So another visual. By nature, we have a heart of stone. It's cold. It's dead. It's lifeless. It thinks of itself and not others. God gives us a heart transplant. It's soft. It's tender. It loves the Lord. It loves others. It now is enabled to obey. That's a miracle of God's grace. Now, I can read some of your minds, even those of you who are watching online, and you're thinking, well, that sounds awesome. That sounds so great. New power, new life. New ability to, to be free. But then you're thinking, that, that's not my experience. I don't feel that creation power that you just described of the galaxies being formed. I feel maybe some degree of progress at times, maybe, but then I, I feel like I'm going backwards. And so you're, you're all spun around and confused. Well, let's, let's, let's untangle this a little bit. Because it's really normal for Christians to, to experience this great conflict within them. Where you want to do something good, and then these evil desires pop back up. What, what, what's happened there? Well, what happens there is the moment you became a Christian, two of you kind of exist at the same time. Seems a little weird, but basically the old you still in there and the new you has been made inside of you. So God's spirit's in you and your flesh, your sinful desires, they, they, they're like, a, like a, a monster coming out of the, the swamp. They, they're still trying to grab you and pull you down. And the Apostle Paul, he, he himself says it this way in Romans 7. For I do not understand my own actions. 
For I do not do what I want, but the very thing I hate. So he's reflecting. My understanding of the Apostle Paul when he's writing chapter 7, verse 15, he's a Christian at this point. There's some debate about that. You can study it yourself. I'm persuaded he is a born-again Christian when he writes that. And he's experiencing this conflict within. If you're experiencing a conflict within, like you really want to follow Jesus, but then you end up getting all tangled up into old um, sins and behaviors. First thing I want you to do, I want you to celebrate that there's a conflict within you. If your mind is bothered and your soul is bothered and you are bothered and you hate it, well, that's an evidence God's in you. That's an evidence God is changing you. That's an evidence God wants you to be different. And so thank the Lord for that. But you don't stop there. So we're going we're gonna to dive into this a little bit more. Do you realize that you have been empowered to walk in newness of life? You've been empowered. This isn't just God's will, God's desire. Hey, I, I want you to be different. But he actually gave you power, energy, ability. This is different than those of you who like sports or watch sports. Uh, or coach sports, a coach is trying to teach you the skills. Guys, do this. Don't do this. Uh, this is how you do it. Here's the proper form. Let's say if it's basketball, here's how you shoot. Here's how you pass. Here's some basic uh, plays. Here's some defensive strategies. They're doing all of those things, and a good coach can do them really well, but the best coach in all the world can't climb inside the body of the person and make them do the very thing that they're trying to teach them to do. I have coached basketball. Um, I've coached for for a number of years, and at times we'd have these great plans, great practices. We'd get to the games, and um, Amy Wells was our head coach, and I was her assistant, and, and I can remember many times she would say, guys, guys, gentlemen, she always said gentlemen, Gentlemen, Joe and I can't play this game for you. We can't get in the game. If we could get in the game, we'd get in the game, but we taught you everything we know how to teach you. Can you just do it? And um, sometimes they would do it better than others. Uh, But the point is, I think sometimes we think that's what Christianity is like, that God saves us, and he tells us, "You, you need to do these things, like a coach would tell you to do it. And then you think he's really disappointed in you. But the part we miss is unlike a coach, God gives you power. He does something that a coach cannot do. See, God by his spirit is in you. And there is power, incredible power from the Lord himself to change and be different. Look at this verse in Romans chapter 6. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism to death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. What this verse is talking about is our spiritual union with Christ. We're so united with Christ that uh, the old you died and the new you was being made alive and the very resurrection power of Jesus that brought him from death to life, 
dwells in you so that you can walk in newness of life. You can actually do it because God is in you. And he's going to give you power. Let me just help you with a couple categories. Real change is possible in all of these areas. Enslavement to gossip. Maybe some of you, you just like it. It's like Proverbs. It's that, that, that mm, just tastes so good when, when you hear something juicy about someone else. And, and you just like to pass it on. And you know you shouldn't do it as a Christian, but boy, it's just so natural to you. Well, it's possible to stop that. It's possible to change. It's possible to not spread gossip about someone. Maybe some of you uh, before Christ were habitual liars. And at times you find yourself lying before you even think about it. Well, you can actually change. God can change you. Maybe it's sexual sin. Maybe you are so enslaved to certain things that there's been little windows of time where you feel like God has changed you, but then you regress and you wonder, is it really possible to be freed in this area? It is really possible. Jesus rose from the grave. And that resurrection power dwells in you as a Christian. And that resurrection power can break the power of any kind of sin that enslaves. Maybe you're enslaved to alcohol or other drugs. Maybe you're enslaved to opiates of some sort. And they are powerful. And you wonder, can I ever really be free? Yes, you can actually really be free. Maybe none of those things are your issue, but you are angry as a hornet. Your fuse is in the millimeters in length. It's not very long at all, and, and just things just hit you. And what you say is, well, um, you know, I'm Irish. I'm German. I'm Italian. Depends on, on uh, what you want to say. But you have an excuse, and you have a family history, and hey, if you come to our house for dinner, we all just yell at each other. That's just what we do. Um, well, if, if that yelling turns into sinful anger and rage, that's not what God saved you for. And so he's going to transform you. He's going to make you different. God's power in you will bring freedom in those areas. Maybe your issue is more like this. Fear, anxiety, worry. And you are just gripped. It's not just like a, a little temptation for you. But it is powerful. And it keeps you from doing things. It keeps you from going places. It, it, it keeps you from having relationships with others. And you love Jesus. But this area just so grips you. What is God's will to give you freedom one degree at a time in areas of fear and anxiety and worry. And as the Lord becomes bigger and bigger, the thing that you fear or you worry about will, will begin to shrink. In a moment, we're going to talk about ways to feed that and ways to, to, to feed your faith. Last group maybe to think about 
is those of you who are enslaved, you're not enslaved to actually any of those things that I just mentioned. And because of that, you feel really proud. You're real, you're real proud about it. You're real self-righteous about it. You, you've never even touched alcohol. You have no tattoos. You have no piercings. You, you've done nothing wrong, straight A's, from, from your whole, whole ride through school. Even nowadays, if you went to do something, straight A's again. It's just who you are. And that's a mercy and a gift from the Lord, but with that comes great temptations to pride and self-righteousness. Well, that too is enslaving. That too quenches God's work in you. That too quenches what God wants to do in and through you. And so all of those areas, everyone I've mentioned and maybe ones that I haven't yet, are areas that God, because he dwells in you, wants to bring freedom. He really does. So as this series goes on, we're going to talk more about some things that we can do or should do. But we want to start with this big idea that it is actually more than possible to change. I mean, honestly, I think some of us, some of you either watching or in the room might think, man, I I think it's true for some people, but for me, I don't think I can change in this area. I don't think I'm actually going to grow at all in this area. That's a lie. That is a lie. If you know Jesus and you have God's Spirit in you, you can change. You really can. Listen to Galatians 5. For you were called to freedom. You were called to freedom. See, a lot of times we think about the forgiveness of our sins, but you were called to freedom. So picture this image. You were by nature, in a jail cell, shackled, hands, feet, and then you were set free. Doors are open, cuffs are off, you're gone. Criminal record cleared, and you are free. Freedom is a very awesome biblical idea. Paul gives a caution, though. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So you were called to be free. Last question. Do you realize that what you feed will grow? What you feed will grow. Listen to this. This is in the book of Galatians. Paul's going to use a farming analogy. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows that will he also reap. So whatever you plant into the ground, that's what's going to come up. If you plant corn, corn will come up. If you plant a weed, weeds will grow up. Whatever you plant, that's what will be produced. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Simple way to think about this is what you feed will grow. So let's, if we want to do an experiment, that we divide the, the room in half, and those of you watching online, uh, those of you who live in the borough, we'll put you in one group, and those who live outside of the borough, we'll put you in another group. And I said, in, in group A, we're going to eat junk food, all you can eat junk food for the next year. That's what we're going to do, and we're just going to go for it. So at church, 
our side's going to be the junk food side. We're just going to chug two liter bottles of soda, eating chips, throwing popcorn, eating cake. We're just going to pig out for the next year. This could be beautiful. And then the other group, not as fun, we're going to eat salads. We're going to eat avocados. We're going to eat lean chicken. And we're going to have a tight diet. And we're going to drink water, purified water, with a lemon or a lime in it. And that's going to be our diet. And we're going to be a little arrogant about it on Sunday mornings, but we're going to sit over here and we're going to eat our little spinach leaves and, and all of that. Well, if we do those two groups, I don't think it's a stretch to say this group is going to be a lot healthier than this group. Why is that? Because of what you're feeding on, what you, you put in. Now, I'm not talking about food right now, so those of you who are going to enjoy food for Super Bowls and Super Bowl parties, enjoy. Have a great time. I'm using it as an example for spiritually speaking. What you feed will grow. What you give into will grow. So let's say fear is the issue. Worry is the issue. And maybe, you know, fears are not rational. So it could be anything. It could be the state of the world. It could be um, invisible bacterias. It could be um, anything that, that comes to mind. But if you're a Christian, uh, and I've seen this happen before, you can, you can approach it two different ways. If fear is a big issue, I'm going to stay in God's Word. I'm going to meditate on the Psalms. I'm going to meditate on the character of God. I'm going to bring Christian friends into this, and I'm going to ask them to pray for me and encourage me. I'm going to memorize Scripture. So that's one group. That's like our salad eaters. The other group is, I'm going to become an expert on that very bacteria that I fear. And all I'm going to do morning to night is read articles about it, watch videos about it, by people that aren't even qualified to talk about it, and I'm just going to spend lots and lots of time meditating on it. Well, what happens is your fear will grow and grow. Or if you're ever here, your fear will shrink and shrink. Because what we feed as Christians, what we feed on, will grow. Have you ever wondered why there are Christians that seem to just grow at different rates, or some hardly at all. I think this is part of it. This is part of it. What we feed will grow. I want to give you two examples of fictitious people that I'm just making up. So if if your names are either Brent or Todd, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, So Brent, we've got two young guys. They both become Christians, okay? Brent trusts in Jesus, and, and the moment he trusts in Jesus, he just kind of gets invited to a church. He comes to the church, and he begins to not just hang out with people his own age, but he gets to really get to know some people, particularly a few older men, and, and they start to disciple him. They start to encourage him. They encourage him with things like reading God's word, and, and when he confesses sin, they, they pray for him, and they give him good counsel, and they, they help him, and they, they surround him. And, and, and he, he begins to grow. Brent begins to change, and he begins to look back at his former life, and it begins to look a lot different. And he's, he's starting to experience freedom. One of the older men says, hey, you, you should read your Bible every day. And even if you're confused about it, just write questions down, draw on your Bible, um, ask us questions. We're going to help you. And, and little by little, not perfectly, but often, he, he gets in the habit of crying out to the Lord and praying. And 
it becomes very normal for when he does fall into past sins that he confesses to these guys. He knows are for him. They pray for him. And he begins to grow and experience freedom. And that's Brent. Now, Brent's good friend Todd was also at the very same meeting where they both trusted in Jesus. And they really were both born again. Now, Todd is an evangelist just by nature. And so Todd decided he, he, he was invited to church. He went to church a little bit. But church just was, it was just too slow for him. It didn't, it didn't work for him. And so Todd, all he saw everywhere he looked was the, the mission field, the, the, the people, the walking dead that we talked about. And so Todd is so motivated to introduce people to Jesus. And for that first six months, he is running so hard after Jesus. And his friends who are Christians are thinking things like, I wonder if I'm even a Christian, because I don't have that passion like he has. Todd does show up at church sometimes, but he's so distracted, and he's not paying attention, and he's not learning anything, and he, he doesn't really have time for older people who are Christians, doesn't think they have tons to offer him and so he begins to just keep sharing the gospel he's so excited about the lost which is a wonderful thing but that that kind of consumes him he's also not a morning person so the idea he heard you know at a meeting you should read your bible tried pulled up on his phone i think i'm gonna go back to bed and so he never really got in the habit of cultivating his relationship with the lord so he's Filled with zeal for Jesus. But some of the basic channels of God's grace, such as church life, Bible reading, Christian fellowship and friendship with all age people, he just never, never, never happened for him, never became a priority for him. And so what happens is old desires and sins begin to come up. And he begins to feed them again. He begins to give in to them. He doesn't know who to talk to. Now he's ashamed, he's embarrassed, and he feels as guilty and condemned as could be. So the next thing he does is he decides, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about Jesus anymore. And so though Todd is a born-again Christian, he goes into shameful isolation. And while Brent is growing and thriving, Todd is becoming a shell of a Christian. Still a Christian. But if we're looking at that oak tree image from the beginning, one's starting to to sprout and have leaves and branches. The other's just barely popping out of the ground. Well, what's the difference? The difference is, one, in response to this miracle that they experienced in the Lord, took advantage of all the different channels of God's grace. Church life and Bible reading and prayer and confession of sin and just really rested in the fact that all my sins are paid for, so I'm just going to bear all. Todd didn't do any of those things. Now, I'm sure, not sure, but I would be willing to, to bet that there are Todds watching or in this room, and you are confused. And you really are a Christian. You really trusted in Jesus. Here's what you need to know. Jesus paid for all your sins and so the way for freedom is to bring it out into the light talk to somebody talk to one of the pastors talk to a friend talk to whoever brought you talk to someone you trust and begin to be open and transparent see 
isolation is not God's desire for you. That is definitely a strategy of Satan himself. And, and so he isolates. And what God wants to do is give you freedom. So if you, you feel like you stunted in your growth, it's not too late. The God who made heaven and earth made you new and alive. And today could be the very step back into freedom and joy and satisfaction that he purchased for you. So I want to close this morning, and the band can come up as I do this, just by reading the passage in Ephesians one more time. So we're going to sing a version of Amazing Grace as we close. And my prayer for all of you who know Jesus is that you would marvel in the reality that you have been made spiritually alive. So you can stand, and I'm going to read Ephesians 2 and then pray. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your grace has saved us. Thank you that you made us alive in you. Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, that the words of this song would stir us and encourage us and give us faith for change and growth, but most of all would give us rest and confidence in you. Lord, we love you, and we ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.